from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host and producer Craig Williams. So Craig, we are coming to the end of uh, the Diz 10th anniversary Mega Meet, which means we can record in person. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that's exactly what we're doing. So uh, today's site, well, not sites, but today the uh, background sounds are brought to you uh, courtesy of the always beautiful on the outside and interesting on the inside Saratoga Springs Resort. So, uh, you know, for the most part, hopefully everything should be running smoothly here. But if you hear a uh, odd noise every once in a while that's that's just people trying to go about their day having a great vacation here that's right and directly across from the resort was where we just finished the the live recording of this week's episode of the walt disney world podcast yes it was wow (laughs) i didn't even think about that yeah we're just on the other side yeah that's right yeah so so what'd you think of the weekend it has been a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this could have been a lot less stressful as an entire week mm-hmm. and spread some things out. But mm-hmm. uh, no, it's it's been great. Everyone's been having a good time for the most part, I think. I haven't heard anything bad yet. I'm sure that'll come later. Oh, that always but, comes later. Of course. <laughs> Maybe not as great, but uh, no, everyone's been wonderful. We've all just been having a ton of fun. It's been nice to see... Uh, old faces not old people just familiar faces and uh starting to meet new people so it's Mm -hmm. it's been wonderful the events have been great and i know ours went off very well people really enjoyed it it did yeah we had our first ever connecting with walt event yep we did a walk down main street usa and we discovered how remarkably hot it is mid-afternoon in the magic kingdom on a, in July, yeah, and people did well though, and you know we also had to outrun the three o'clock parade, but people sprinted very nicely. It, yeah, that was it was a, <laughs> you know this is definitely the this episode is going to be a good companion because there were a lot of elements that were working against us, uh, but I, I there was a lot, mm-hmm. there was a lot, and I think people learned a lot and. I'm excited that today they're going to get to even learn more. Right, so. yeah. And we uh, we were able to give out our first Connecting with Walt buttons. Yes. Which we're very excited about. Yes. So now when you see me and Craig, we still have a small supply. Exactly. So when you say hello, be sure to ask for your button. Yes. And, and uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed was, uh, you know, meeting our listeners and as I said on the on the Walt Disney World podcast, it was you know one of the purposes of this show is to share stories of Walt and Roy and and the Imagineers and designers, and especially uh, you know t- for the generations that didn't grow up with them. Yeah. And 
And, you know, that was one of the missions of this show was to share the stories of Walt to the younger folks. And it really meant a lot to hear families come together and say, you know, some told me, well, one in particular told me how their son had lost interest in Disney until he heard our show and we rekindled his interest, uh, how some families told us that we, uh, you know, they listened to us together. Yeah. which is really nice that we're a, a family event for them. And and so, you know, so sort of a shout-out to Royce, Nathaniel, Alexander, and um, and Benjamin, who in particular uh, shared their stories of how much yeah. they enjoyed hearing our stories. So, and, and, and you know, still keep, keep that magic and, and inspiration going, you guys. Yes, exactly. And thanks to everyone who came mm-hmm. out and... Uh, took a walk down with us, uh, especially during the terrible conditions of visiting Florida in the summer. Mm-hmm. So we appreciated everyone who was there, and we know that if you weren't there, you were there with us in spirit. Definitely. And during the, speaking of July, during the July season of Connecting with Walt, we have been taking a closer look at some of the design elements of Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. And in this episode, Craig and I take a walk right down the Magic Kingdom's Main Street, USA. Some of you did do that with us yesterday. This is, as Craig said, a companion piece um, to that walk. Now, Main Street USA is the first of the themed lands in uh, the Magic Kingdom the guests encounter after they pass through the tunnels beneath the Main Street Railroad Station. And Main Street USA is the essence of hometown America at the turn of the 20th century, the crossroads of an era when the gas lamp was giving away to the electric light and the sputtering horseless carriage was challenging old Dobbin for the streetcar right-of-way. It has been said that Main Street USA at Disneyland is derived from Walt's boyhood recollections of his childhood home in Marceline, Missouri. And it may be more accurately said that Main Street USA is based on Walt's nostalgic memories of Marceline. Walt Disney lived in Marceline for just over four years, whilst his father Elias tried his hand at farming. Now, Elias Disney kept his family on the move as he traveled from one occupation to another to keep food on the table and a roof over the head of his family. His youngest son, Walter, was born in Chicago, but always maintained that he was just a farm boy who hid behind a mouse and a duck. It was in the Marceline of the early 1900s that young Walt first sketched barnyard animals and fell in love with trains. You won't see Disneyland's bright pastels and gingerbread turrets in Marceline. Walt had a child's eyes view of Marceline as a perfect place. Always clean, safe, and cheerful. And that's the feelings he wanted to evoke in guests as they walked down Main Street, USA. Yeah, and uh, that's why you walk down and it feels like you're almost in something like the Music Man or Mm -hmm. such. And just it's... Everything's bright, cheerful. Whenever you are lucky enough to see the mayor of Main Street out and about, or any of the the characters that you can meet out throughout the day, everyone just has a a big smile plastered on their face, and you know it's just it's ideal. It's it's the turn of the century, Stepford. <laughs> right, and every day is the Fourth of July. Yes, on Main Street, USA. Yes. 
However, a town Walt Disney never visited also served as an inspiration for structures on both Disneyland's and the Magic Kingdom's Main Street USA, Fort Collins, Colorado. In Fort Collins, there are the mansard roofs, the jig-jag rhythm of irregular shop facades, lacy Victorian artwork, and a distinctive fishbone street plan where side streets feed into a main street. Disneyland City Hall is clearly drawn as three-quarters scale from the courthouse in Fort Collins, with its distinctive upthrust tower, and the red brick fire station is strangely familiar. Although Walt never saw Fort Collins, he enjoyed the story shared by designer Harper Goff, the son of a local Fort Collins newspaper editor. Looking back, Harper recalled, Yeah, I was born in that little town, Fort Collins, Colorado. My dad owned a newspaper there, the Fort Collins Express Courier, and I grew up there. It was a very prosperous town. We had banks that looked like banks, you know, and there was a Victorian city hall. I was born in 1911, and these buildings were around when I was a kid. When I started working on Main Street, I had photographs of Fort Collins taken. I showed them to Walt, and he liked them very much. Disneyland City Hall was copied from Fort Collins, so was the bank building and some of the others. Walt wanted Main Street to embody the American spirit, where people are friendly, hardworking, and share the dream of a better life. Main Street reflects Walt Disney's patriotism and love of country. This sense of patriotism, along with Main Street's gingerbread buildings, its porches, awnings, flags, and bunting, still connects with guests. It absolutely does. And I just, you know, that's that's the best thing about Main Street, is that my town that I grew up in has zero resemblance. Um, the last time I was even there, it was completely run down and slightly disgusting but for some reason whenever i'm actually moving up and down main street i get that same like feeling of like oh that's just feels like home so it's weird how it really does capture that spirit of of any hometown all you just Mm -hmm. have to do is be there and get wrapped up in it yeah the the town that carol and i live in we have a it's not called main street but it's Mm -hmm. the historic street that was served as a main street when they yeah. uh, during the gold rush and they they've kept it wonderfully preserved and restored so that it, it evokes that same kind of feel yeah. that main street usa does completely different architecture because yeah. it's a different time in a different location but in the town next to us they built um a shopping center because that town really doesn't have mm-hmm. a central area because it's a, a fairly new town and they copied basically what main street would look like if it had been built in like the 30s really or 40s wow. and it's very charming and you you get that hometown feeling there but instead of a castle there's a movie theater at the end that sounds like it fits in really yeah. well yeah i'd enjoy it <laughs> Now, in their designs, Imagineers work to connect these feelings of nostalgia and use artistic license to play more directly to our emotional attachments to the design details, rather than strictly adhering to historical accuracy. This design technique, called heightened reality, is used to invoke feelings of nostalgia, whether historically accurate or not. 
Heightened reality is used throughout the Magic Kingdom. Frontierland is an idealized version of a real Western pioneer town. And, 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 fact, and there's the train leaving the station, right? Or the boat. Yeah. It's actually the steamboat heading out. <laughs> I hear that, or someone just ran over a car. <laughs> <laughs> now, there's a little boat that goes to Disney Springs right across the way there. <laughs> Adventureland is a romanticized version of the tropics and other exotic locales. Tomorrowland is a fantastical vision of a future that will most likely never exist in that form. Fantasyland combines realistic architecture with excess levels of charm to depict the medieval tournament, the Alpine village, and the English Tudor styles we've imagined from reading storybooks and fairy tales. All these lands take characteristics we know from the real world, select the characteristics that suit the story the Imagineers want to tell, then combines them into something that is entirely new but still seems familiar. So Main Street USA is not an exact reproduction of Marceline, Missouri or Fort Collins, Colorado. It is based on Walt Disney's idealized memories and conceptions of what a Main Street should be without the imperfections and blight. Main Street in the Magic Kingdom is much larger than the Main Street of Disneyland. This was in keeping with the overall upsizing of the park and castle. This is the main street of a larger town. There are more signs of industrialization, and the architecture is slightly more ornate in what the Imagineers called Eastern Seaboard Victorian. This style was popular in the 1880s and 1890s when the Industrial Revolution made it possible to mass-produce pre-cut architectural details for shipment around the country. The lighter and lacier metalwork gives Main Street a more fanciful flair to illustrate the overriding optimism. According to the Imagineers, there are stylistic elements and influences from several different regions of America, most notably incorporating architectural elements reminiscent of New England and the East Coast, decorative mansard roofs, simple classical columns, and tall thin windows are used along several buildings in Town Square. This is most noticeable in the four corners area in the middle of Main Street. Each of the four corner buildings represents a different architectural style. Some have referred to the Disney version of Victorian architecture as Victorian. Yeah, and you know, that's the one thing that I really enjoy about this is that in that architecture, it also. Uh, it, it definitely evokes that same similar feeling that I get whenever I'm over it. Uh, Disney's Grand Floridian. So, especially like if you're taking the resort monorail in, it's kind of that's the last stop you would be at before you hit the Magic Kingdom. So, it's kind of that extra transition as you're going from mm -hmm. that one style of, uh, I mean, I don't know if you would flat out call the Grand, Grand Floridian Victorian architecture, but it is mm -hmm. very, very elegant, just like Main Street USA is. It's a, it's a nice transition, very easy. Right, well, and and it was supposed to be that way. Um, the Grand the Grand Floridian is connected to Main Street USA. The uh, the Contemporary Resort is connected to Tomorrowland. Yeah. The Polynesian has a connection to Adventureland, and Wilderness um, Resort uh, is connected to, um, of course, Frontierland. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, so. 
Yeah, so that's that's all by design. Yeah, it works well. Yeah, did a good job with it. <laughs> so the Main Street Railroad station's design resembles a similar upscale turn-of-the-century station that existed in Saratoga Springs, New York. The architecture at the crossroads or four corners of Main Street and Center Street showcases turn-of-the-century New Orleans with its ornate balconies, New England with a widow's walk, and Chicago and New York City with neoclassical columns. Main Street USA is actually constructed as four separate buildings or blocks, northwest, northeast, southwest, and southeast, bisected by Center Street. Each building facade is designed to appear as a grouping of separate, distinct structures. The interior of each shop, restaurant, or attraction is designed with unique decor, ornamentation, and materials to convey the purpose of the establishment and the story it is telling. The Imagineers utilized forced perspective with Main Street USA. The underscale buildings are designed to appear much larger than they actually are. First floor facades are built 90% full size, second floors at 80%, and the third floor still slightly smaller. For example, the Plaza Ice Cream Parlor measures 12 feet, 10 feet, and 8 feet for the top story. An exception to this is the Exposition Hall, which was built full size to prevent the visual intrusion of the contemporary resort. Yeah, and I always forget how tall our Main Street USA really is. So this was actually whenever we went in for connecting with Walt. That was my first time back in Magic Kingdom since being out in Disneyland at the end of June. And so, you know, I go in fresh with that mindset of whenever I was just in Disneyland and and how their Main Street is. And then being in there, I just, I felt like it was just towering over it. I still, I don't know. Then, then, then when I get back out of Disneyland, I feel like it's, it is larger, but... It's something about it just like it's so weird how the two are so different with that mm-hmm. and it just it's amazing absolutely you get two different feelings yeah and and definitely i i feel the main street usa at walt disney world is definitely busier more bustling yes and um and looks that way by design oh yeah then where Disney World's main Disneyland's Main Street USA is more of a sort of a sleepy little yeah. small town Main Street. I agree. Mm-hmm. Let's see. The Main Street Railroad Station and Cinderella Castle serve as the visual anchors for Main Street. Both serve as visual magnets or weenies and provide an architectural balance to Main Street. In a sense, one of Main Street's primary functions is to physically and visually connect the Main Street Railroad Station to Cinderella Castle and the Central Plaza. Main Street is oriented on a north-south axis. Guests enter from the south and face due north towards Cinderella Castle. Throughout most of the day, the castle is bathed in sunlight and reinforces its role as a visual magnet. Yes. At the south end of Main Street is the Civic Center or Town Square. The triangular park with rounded edges in the center of Town Square is reminiscent of the circle and square layout found in small eastern Pennsylvanian towns like Gettysburg and Hanover. The Victorian-inspired Gulf Hospitality House, now the Exposition Hall, anchors Town Square on one side with City Hall on the opposite. 
City Hall symbolizes the order and laws of the town and the necessity to adhere to them. However, the appearance of character meet-and-greets in Town Square reminds us we are not on the main street of an ordinary town. Rather, we are in the Magic Kingdom. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but <laughs> I'm, I feel like there could be something a little bit better used with the space, but that's just me. I, know, I like that it, it, it's like a little park I, right in the center there. I just... So in Town Square and Disneyland, and I'm sorry that I'm going to be making these comparisons a lot, but it's just what I do. Obviously, there's also meet and greets in that whole section. However, it just feels it feels more organized, more, uh, as you kind of said, sleepy. You know, no one really, for the times that I've been there, you know, there's people waiting in lines, and it's it's not like mass chaos but everything just kind of comes in it's all people are coming and going it's all very friendly whereas our town square having like meet and greets especially right beside the flagpole i mean you have those strict lines that always seem to be the same length no matter mm-hmm. what time of day you're at there and they are strictly guarded by your uh, your character attendants who have to you know do their job to cut off lines it just it it feels more I guess it does kind of go with the more industrialized look, whereas it doesn't feel, evoke those same feelings of just this is a a, a city street and people are passing by and stopping and saying hello, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Well, the meet and greets in Town Square at Disneyland, they tend to be along the edges. That's true. That is true. And, you know, there we tend to have them near, uh, in between the hat shop and the Mad Hatter, and the, and you know the Disneyana shop, and you know near the in front yes. of the Opera House, we have them by the livery stable, then over near City Hall and the Fire House, yeah. and and we do sometimes have them up in Town Square, but they don't tend to be in the center; yeah. they're um, oh, slightly away from the center. Yeah. But we even have. Uh, meet and greets near the floral mickey yeah once you walk through the turnstile so we tend to have them spread out yeah i I think it's it is better if we you know i know it's never going to happen but i feel like they could organize it a little bit better keep the city friendly now on the walls of the magic kingdom city hall hang paintings of historic figures and events appropriate for a turn of the century american small town including portraits of george washington and abraham lincoln with a large painting within a painting that focuses on the famous moment when america completed the first transcontinental railroad in 1869 these are actually copies of the paintings created for the original hall of presidents presentation in 1971 also in City Hall are photos of the Founding Fathers, Walt and Roy Disney. Next to City Hall is the Main Street Chamber of Commerce. And this building has housed several different shops over the years, including an art shop and a jam store. Hmm. Architecturally, this building is a little more classical with the Roman Corinthian columns and the Italianate-inspired upper facade. Now, in 1971, guests would go to the Hospitality House to make reservations around the Walt Disney World Resort property, such as golf, tennis, restaurant, and hotel reservations. In the early stages of the design, this building was considered for a hotel, since there was plenty of space behind it. 
Disney artist and designer Dorothea Redmond sketched several designs for what would have been the first in-park Disney hotel. That would have been wild. It would have been. Yeah. So, and I can only imagine what it would have cost today. Oh, it's, you know, the best of the best would be staying there. Mm -hmm. So, clearly, as we can see from the uh, castle suite that we talked about last week, so... Yeah, where the average person doesn't stay in there at all. Yes. Yes. Now, Tony's Town Square has a theme based on the 1955 film Lady and the Tramp. The architecture of the street scenes in Lady and the Tramp are reflective of Disneyland's Main Street. Uh, Tony's Town Square is a restaurant, was, is where a restaurant sponsored by Oscar Mayer once was, where you could enjoy a hot dog and chat with little Oscar. The interior space is reminiscent of an open-air Victorian-styled conservatory, and the exterior is based on a structure in Saratoga Springs, New York. So it's appropriate now that we are sitting here at the Saratoga Springs Resort. It all works together. This style also comes into play further down Main Street at the Crystal Palace on a larger scale. The rest of the details are themed from Lady and the Tramp, and there are many original wall paintings inspired from the film. The central fountain depicts the two canine stars of the film, and a window towards the rear of the restaurant looks out onto the alley and the most famous scene from the film. Yeah, and the restaurant really is, uh, it's a beautiful space. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've listened to any of the other Dis Unplugged shows that have ever talked about Tony's, the food is a... A different scenario but i really do love the interior of it uh all all of the work like you said but my favorite part for sure is kind of like the the greenhouse aspect mm-hmm. that it has to it with all the large kind of dirtyish windows but it's, <laughs> it, you still can't get a better view of whole town square than no. sitting right in there and if you time it right, you, if you have a meal there, you can time it when one of the parades is coming exactly. by. Yep. And they do keep, at least they used to, they used to then keep your view clear yeah. from the porch. Yep. So that if yep. you're dining there, you can see the parade. Yes. Now, the Main Street Fire Station is currently the spot where you get your Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom cards. But the space has served many purposes over the years. In Disneyland, its upper level houses the private apartment that Walt had constructed for when he was in Disneyland. There is no apartment in the Magic Kingdom version of the fire station, and therefore, there is no memorial lamp in the upper window. The engine number 71 sign at the top of the building represents the year that Walt Disney World opened. The exterior is brick with a rich deep green for the doors and window casings. Look up and you'll see the bell in the small tower to alert the town of any fires. Still in the back of the shop are a number of -of turn-of-the-century firefighting implements. It has also been a tradition for firefighters from across the country to leave or mail their unit insignia patches to the Magic Kingdom where they are displayed in the firehouse. The Main Street Emporium is owned by proprietor Ossium Osh Popham, and he was a character played by Burl Ives in the 1963 Disney film Summer Magic, starring Haley Mills. Have you ever seen this film? I have once a long, long time back. Mm-hmm. So, I love this film. Yeah. It is one of my favorite live action films and it has great music. Yeah, I it's probably been 15 20 years since mm-hmm. I've seen it. 
So back in the day, I feel like when it was on VHS, it was more generally accessible than it is nowadays. I don't think it ever got a DVD release even. I th- I have it on DVD. Oh. It was one of those, though, where they released it on DVD but did nothing to clean it up. Oh, yeah. So, but, And I think it's played... I think it's played on Turner Classic Movies, but I'm not sure. I I will have to keep an eye out for it, even on DVD, even mm-hmm. if it's bad. So yeah, but it'll it'll be who's now has the is it Netflix who has the yes. getting the film library yeah. should should be out on that hopefully. So fingers crossed. Now Osh Popham ran the early 1900s General Store, and it was expanded over the years, uh, and this. Um, is resulted in the loss of West um, Center Street with its facades for the livery stable, Champion Cyclery, and the Chinese Laundry, as well as displacing the Hallmark Card Shop and the original location of the Harmony Barber Shop. Do you remember any of these uh, shops? I honestly don't know. West Center Street has always been uh, filled in since I started... I can't remember when I was a kid. At least the first trips I can like really have vivid memories of everything was probably in uh, 2000, 2003. And it was definitely filled in by that time. So I would, I, you know, more shopping. It's. <laughs> and they're off. <laughs> they're off. Uh, more shopping is definitely a, a better thing for Disney. However, I. It's details like having these, uh, like East Center Street. It's still having that Center Street area. It's just, it's filled with so many little hidden nods, especially in the windows. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a shame to to have lost that on the other side, just for uh, just for a way to make a little bit extra money at the end of the night. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Now, architecturally. Um, the Emporium starts with more Victorian elements in the interior and slowly progresses towards a more Edwardian-influenced style. The Emporium's coffered ceilings detailing in the columns and the floor inlay all fit this period of architecture. The original Victorian style is opulent in its fixtures and finishings, as evidenced in the combination electric light and gas light fixtures, which was an extravagance during this era. When the Emporium expanded into Center Street in 2002, it was designed to reflect the Edwardian architecture from 1903 England with lighter woods and pastels. Next, we have the confectionery, and the backstory of the confectionery has roots in Disneyland's confectionery shop. Thomas and Kitty McCrum opened the Main Street Confectionery after attending the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago back in 1893. And this fair is notable because it was the first to be lit by electricity with its buildings outlined in white light bulbs. So that that might sound a bit familiar. Yeah. Uh, This was also the World's Fair where Walt's father, Elias, was hired as a construction worker. And another World's Fair figured prominently in Walt Disney's career. The 1964-65 World's Fair in New York was where Walt debuted several attractions featuring sophisticated audio-animatronic figures. Now, in our story, Thomas McCrum was particularly impressed with all the mechanical marvels on display at Machinery Hall and decided to create his own candy works back on Main Street. In real life, Milton Hershey 
also went to the 1893 Chicago World's Fair and was so impressed with the chocolate-making machines that he, that he brought them back to Pennsylvania and got into the chocolate business. Prior to making chocolate, Hershey made caramels. Have you ever been to Hershey, PA? I've always wanted to go there. It is... It's actually very charming. Uh, you know, I've been lucky enough to go there for uh, Give Kids the World meet mm-hmm. up there. And honestly, their, their kind of Main Street-ish area of their town actually is very Main Street in that way. And all the uh, the lights as they line the street are like kisses, uh, Hershey Kiss shaped. Oh, I've heard and that. It's just, it's all so completely charming. So... I think yeah. on on one of those meets, somebody I don't know if it was Teresa or somebody they they went on the tour and they rode a, an attraction and they were singing cows and yeah there is <laughs> there's it, a video yeah okay. there's a um, there's a, a a little tour and a gift shop part if you don't want to go into Hershey Park and uh, pay the money to do that there is a free portion where you can go and do that and it's just the the creepiest creepiest dark ride <laughs> you have ever been on and yeah i it's one of those things you have to see it with your eyes to actually believe it <laughs> well hopefully i'll get to one of those someday i want to go yeah. to some of those big meats someday i, I recommend it <laughs> Now, the confectionery shop engages all our senses. It's bright pastel colors, the smellitzers filling the shop with enticing aromas, and the candy makers making their treats in the display candy kitchen. In 1971, other businesses appropriate to the nostalgia of this era included a bakery, a ice cream parlor, a jewelry boutique, a magic shop, a barber shop, and a general store with a pot-bellied stove lined Main Street. And I know the magic shop is gone. We mm-hmm. still have ours in yes, Disneyland. But I, th- I would assume pretty much all the rest are there. I mean, they sound familiar to me. Yeah, we still have our bakery. Uh, it's Starbucks, though, ice- right? Uh, yes, it mm-hmm. is now sp- Starbucks, mm-hmm. but they still offered baked items mm-hmm. in there, so... Uh, we do have that. We we have the uh, we have the ice cream parlor all the way at the end. We do have the jewelry boutique that is also where you'll find uh, all of the expensive purses uh-huh. and, and Pandora. But, yes, and that's that is there now too. And uh, of course, the barber shop is kind of to the left of the Emporium. If mm-hmm. you were looking down towards Main Street, so, <laughs> near yeah, the car every, barn, yeah, now exactly. sort of hidden away. Yeah. So everything except for the. Uh, the magic shop really is still there, so. Good. Good. Now, the Main Street Cinema paid homage to the early motion picture industry. In 1971, this movie house showed silent films on a semicircular array of six screens. In 1978, the show was changed to a selection of Mickey Mouse cartoon shorts, and that's what our Main Street Cinema in Disneyland mm-hmm. yes. continues to do. In 1994, it showed Mickey's Big Break, depicting Mickey Mouse's 1928 audition for Walt Disney, portrayed by Walt's nephew, Roy E. Disney. I remember that. That, and that was actually made for an attraction at the Disney MGM Studios. Mm-hmm. That, And I don't think that ever came to be over there i don't believe so yeah and now this i find this a tragic loss yeah the cinema is now a retail establishment it's basically your disneyana shop exactly yeah it's our art of disney it's atrocious honestly 
it's it sucks walking in there because once you make it through the lobby area and you you can still feel like especially if you've been to disneyland you can still feel where that that ticket window would be and Mm -hmm. then you pass through and you can feel the room in that uh hexagonal shape being all around you but instead you're just seeing the same artwork that you can get anywhere else Mm -hmm. if there was unique pictures in there i i would totally understand it but there's just not uh it was you know that i i go into the one at disneyland every single time Mm -hmm. i'm there no no questions asked and i know people would make that same tradition if we had it here as well too so i i don't know why we can't i really don't i don't know it's a you know it's one of those things where it's all part of the storytelling yeah you know that that we keep um, another grand structure is the Crystal Palace. The Crystal Palace is an excellent example of, of the Imagineers using heightened reality to design a structure based on a real building whilst adding artistic ornamentation to tell its story and to provide a transition from Main Street USA to the jungles of Adventureland, as does the Jolly Holiday Bakery in Disneyland. Mm-hmm. The primary inspiration for the Crystal Palace is actually one of my favorite places to visit in San Francisco's Golden Gate Park, the Victorian-style Conservatory of Flowers, which is a large municipal greenhouse with exotic and tropical plants, trees, flowers, and even a pond. The Conservatory of Flowers was completed in 1879, and its design was taken from the Conservatory in Kew Gardens, England. And like the era depicted on Main Street, the Conservatory of Flowers was constructed using the early techniques of mass-producing architectural ornamentation. Because of the large scale of the Magic Kingdom's central plaza, the Crystal Palace is built to full scale. The structures are one part of the show and story being presented on Main Street USA. Contributing to the story that Main Street USA is part of a thriving and bustling town are the main street vehicles. The assortment of vehicles from horseless carriages to horse-drawn trolleys are instantly convey the era and the place you are in. Walt Disney insisted the main street vehicles be on stage and accurate. Walt enjoyed entering Disneyland early and driving the carnation milk truck around the park. The Main Street vehicles are replicas drawn from composites of various Franklin automobiles of 1903 to 1907. Speaking of Walt Disney, in the central plaza of Disneyland and Walt Disney World is the partner statue depicting Walt Disney holding the hand of Mickey Mouse. When he was alive, Walt Disney clearly stated he did not want a statue of himself made and certainly did not want one erected within his theme parks. Lillian Disney respected his wishes after his passing. Several years after Walt's death, Blaine worked on a CalArts memorial medal that featured a headshot of Walt. Lillian Disney told Blaine that she didn't ever want a bust or portrait or a statue of Walt to be done. Blaine Gibson, who is the sculpture figures ranging from President Abraham Lincoln, Haunted Mansion Ghosts, Rowdy Caribbean Pirates, and all the presidents in the Hall of Presidents except for President Obama, had sculpted a bust of Walt Disney in 1962 as a thank you gift. Blaine wasn't entirely pleased with the bust and wanted to destroy it. 
But when he presented it to Walt in his office, Blaine did not get the reaction that he expected when Walt said, what am I going to do with this? Statues are for dead people. So Walt, or so Blaine kept the clay original in his garage for decades. He later used it as a reference for a bust of Walt for the Academy of Television Arts and Science, ATAS headquarters in North Hollywood, California. Walt was inducted into the ATAS Hall of Fame in 1986. A duplicate casting of that bust was done by, done by Blaine, was also at Disney's Hollywood Studios in the ATAS Hall of Fame Plaza. I assume that is gone now? Craig? No, that is still there. It is still there. Yeah, it's still there. Okay. Bill Cosby's gone. Ah, but, can't imagine why. Yeah, no, but he, he's still there. Yep. Oh, excellent. Good, good. Well, go in and see that bust yep. created by Blaine Gibson. Of course, while it is still there. Yeah, I just assume that went away along with the, just the general cleaning house. No, it's, it's still there. Not for much longer, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But... Okay. So, so, listeners who aren't familiar, where is that located? That would be, so if you walk into the park, you're going to see the Chinese Theater, obviously, straight ahead of you. Mm -hmm. To the left of that is going to be the old uh, American Idol stage, Mm -hmm. which is now used for uh, the Frozen Mm sing-along. And then it is going to be literally right beside it, where you can also uh, get fast passes at, of course, because, you know have to set up your uh, fast pass plus stations all around the park in intrusive areas. <laughs> well, they need to be noticed. Yes. <laughs> now, when Michael Eisner came on board in 1984 as CEO of the Disney Company, one of his goals was to increase the the attendance at the theme parks. At Disneyland, he staged short-term promotions like Blast to the Past and Circus Fantasy that filled the hub area in front of Sleeping Beauty Castle with huge props that almost completely obscured the castle view from Main Street. Blast to the Past celebrated the culture and music of the 1950s and in the hub obscured the view of the castle with a huge jukebox housing a disc jockey in its base. Circus Fantasy included a huge classic cage of death which is an enclosed metal ball with a rider on a spiraling motorcycle building up so much momentum that he could seemingly defy gravity by going around the inside of the globe. That huge cage of death was also in the middle of the hub and blocked the view of the castle. Wouldn't that have been charming? Your first visit to Disneyland and there is a cage of death at the end of Main Street. When you told me this, I was just... (laughs) I was shocked because I knew that they had a, a kind of a similar style stunt show at Epcot for a period of time, and I never understood that. But at Disneyland, nonetheless, ah, oh, what? Uh, some decisions. There you go. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> now, Imagineers Ma- Marty Scalar and John Hench were particularly concerned by these temporary additions and worried that the success of these events would escalate into other similar and even larger additions. They reasoned that if something significant were put in the hub, it would be difficult, if not impossible, to continue to put massive items in the area and ruin the view of the castle. They were also worried that in the 
the two decades since Walt's death, he was being forgotten, and a new generation had grown up without seeing him on television each week. They believed there should be a reminder in the park about the man who started it all. Which was a good idea. Mm -hmm. Now, you grew up after Walt was on television, Craig, so how did you learn about him? Um, I don't know, honestly. I... Probably because of where the rest of the story is going to go. But anytime I came to Walt Disney World, you know, there was reminders of him throughout the area. And so it just, it never really was out of my mind. And then it just kind of, it pushed me from there to to learn more as a kid about, well, who who was he? And then it just, you know, kind of kept going from there and just mm-hmm. wanted to learn more and more and more so marty and john were able to convince eisner that a statue commemorating walton mickey entitled partners would help promote the disney brand the major challenge was convincing the surviving disney family members to allow it but eventually they did after a national survey indicated a significant number of the public believed walt disney was simply a corporate symbol similar to betty crocker and aunt jemima blaine gibson was selected to create the sculpture and blaine said i chose to depict walt as he was in 1954 I think that was when Walt was in his prime. It was tough trying to match the media image of Walt Disney, the one the public knows, to the real Walt, the one we knew. I think Walt is admiring the park and saying to Mickey, look at what we've accomplished together, because truly they were very much a team through it all. Look at all the happy people who have come to visit us today. Gibson made the figure of Walt larger than life, roughly six feet five inches tall. In real life, Walt was five feet ten inches tall. Blaine included several personal details about Walt in the sculpture. The STR logo on Walt's tie refers to the Smoke Tree Ranch vacation area in Palm Springs where Walt had a vacation home. Walt would regularly wear ties with the STR logo. On Walt's right hand is the Irish Claddagh wedding ring that he and his wife wore, in addition to his regular one on his left hand. Walt bought them in 1948 on a trip to Ireland when he was exploring his ancestry. The size of Mickey Mouse was chosen based on a brief moment from the animated short The Pointer in 1939. When he recorded the voice, recalled Disney animator Frank Thomas, Walt couldn't help but feel like Mickey, and he added all these little gestures that were spontaneous with him. At one point, he put out his hand like this to indicate that Mickey was about three feet tall. It was the only time we knew how big Walt thought Mickey was. Marty Sklar remembers being amazed seeing Blaine Gibson and John Hench spending hours discussing just exactly how Walt's five-fingered hand should hold Mickey's four-fingered one. It was finally decided to base it on the one time that an animated Mickey held the hand of a real person, when Mickey Mouse shook the hand of conductor Leopold Stokowski in 1940's Fantasia. 
The partner statue was unveiled by Roy E. Disney on November 18, 1993, during a Disneyland event hosted by Disneyland president Jack Lindquist called Mickey's Worldwide Kids Party to celebrate Mickey Mouse's 65th birthday. The plaque on the statue reads, I think most of all what I want Disneyland to be is a happy place where parents and children can have fun together. Walt Disney. At the Magic Kingdom, the partner statue was unveiled in June 1995. Its plaque reads, We believe in our idea, a family park where parents and children could have fun together. Walt Disney. And the best thing about the partner statue at both parks is that they feel like they could have been there since the day the park opened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now knowing that uh, partner statue would have been there for my first, or it wasn't there for my first two trips there, but I have, you know, again, I was very little. I don't have any memory of it, but... You know, if you would have told me, oh, yeah, that was there at opening day, I would have absolutely 100% believed anyone with it. It just, it is the perfect statue to be there. Yeah, and it, what's interesting is is a uh, another um, copy of the statue was given to the Disney family mm-hmm. by the Walt Disney Company. and But because of Walt's wishes, it has, Walt, uh, uh, Diane Disney Miller never put it on display at the Walt Disney Family Museum. Mm-hmm. They have a, a, a warehouse, where they, they don't have everything on display. Yes. And there is a warehouse and Walt is all wrapped up sitting in the warehouse with Mickey. And, and she used to say it was sort of very unnerving to go in there and see her father. Oh, I can only imagine. In, in the warehouse. <laughs> so. Now, a statue of Walt's older brother, Roy O. Disney, seated on a park bench beside Minnie Mouse at the Magic Kingdom, is located approximately where Roy stood when he dedicated the park in October 1971. It was installed in October 1999 and is titled Sharing the Magic, and was also sculpted by Blaine Gibson. He based it on photographs taken of Roy in the Magic Kingdom in October 1971 when sitting on a bench with some Disney characters. About this statue, Blaine said, Roy is sitting back in the bench, which indicates he was there first, and Minnie came to him. Not that he came up to her to ask why she was sitting down and not working or coming up to harass her. Also, he is holding her hand underneath, so he is supporting it, just like he always supported Walt's dreams. Roy was very underrated. Originally, the statue was installed behind a low fence, but so many guests climbed over the fence for photographs that it was moved out of the fenced area. There is no sharing the magic statue in Disneyland, but both the partners and sharing the magic statue are installed in the Legends Plaza at the Walt Disney Studio in Burbank, California. When designing Disneyland, Walt Disney gave his Imagineers this instruction. All I want you to think about is when people walk through or have access to anything you design, I want them, when they leave, to have smiles on their faces. Just remember that. It's all I ask of you as a designer. So, Craig, after our walk down the Magic Kingdom's Main Street USA, do you believe the Imagineers accomplished this? For the most part, yeah. I think, well, 
whenever it opened, absolutely, based on uh, everything that I know and everything we've talked about uh, over the years. You know, it's it's changed in some respects, not for the better. Um, but I, I think a lot of the original feeling and the original purpose of Main Street is still there to this day, and it hasn't completely lost its sight. So, uh, yeah, it's if this if the Main Street doesn't get any worse than it is now, then <laughs> I consider it a good success. Yeah. Excellent. I I agree. I th- I. Th- do you think it leaves a person with a happy feeling? Yeah. I think you enter it with a happy feeling and you leave it with a happy feeling. I agree. Especially, no matter how tired you are. Yeah, especially if you enter in the morning whenever everything is first opening up and there is that, there's just that feeling that comes over the entire mm-hmm. street and you have the trolley show coming out and uh, and then if you leave at night with Main Street lit up, it's mm-hmm. That is the best way to really bookend your experience on Main Street. I agree. Absolutely. And one of the results of Walt Disney, the Imagineers, and the designers' work is that Main Street USA has become our collective childhood home. Mm-hmm. So, And the end of Main Street leads to the hub or central plaza, which then leads us to new realms that we'll explore in future episodes of Connecting with Walt. Yeah. So many books, films, articles, interviews, and lectures were sourced for this episode of Connecting with Walt, including A Tale of Two Main Streets, the towns that inspired Disney are searching for a little magic of their own, uh, New York Times, October 15th, 1998, Walt Disney World Field Guide, Main Street USA, by Team ITATS, Prime Inspirations, The Crystal Palace, WDW News Today, September 9th, 2014. You're on stage at Disney World, an analysis of Main Street USA in the Magic Kingdom, a thesis by Marissa N. Scalera. Walt Disney World Chronicles, Partner Statue by Jim Corcus for AllEars.net. The Imagineering Field Guide to the Magic Kingdom of Walt Disney World by the Imagineers. Since the World Began, Walt Disney World, The First 25 Years by Jeff Curdy. Theme Park Design and the Art of Themed Entertainment by David Younger. Walt Disney World, The First Decade by Walt Disney Productions in 1982. And I also want to, uh, now that we're at the end of our July season, I want to give also a big thanks to my research assistant and wife, Carol Bowling. Uh, after I go through all of my sources and articles and everything, I always let Carol know I, I, th- I still need information on this since she <laughs> researches things for me. If I know I've seen articles somewhere, I ask her to go out and look for them and, and she finds the additional information that I need to, to bring you the, the complete story. Yeah. Uh, of connecting with Walt. So she I want to give a, her a big thanks. Uh, she does a fantastic job. She does. She does. And Craig, this brings us to the end of our July season. So we've had a wonderful time sharing our stories about Walt Disney and the Magic Kingdom with all of you. So, so Craig, until our next episode in October, what are you going to be up to? Oh, you'll see me <laughs> running around like a crazy person as always and on the Disney World edition on Tuesdays and the Universal edition on Thursdays. And, and your movie it. reviews. And my movie reviews every now and then with Rhino on Dispop. 
uh, being released whenever we feel like it. Mostly. Yeah, good. <laughs> I always look forward to those. They're fun. So. They're good. And you can find me every Sunday night on the Dis Unplugged podcast, Disneyland Edition, with my good friends Tom Bell, Nancy Johnson, Mary Jo Mulatto-Willie, and Tony Spatel, where we have lots of fun talking about Walt's Park that started it all, and all Southern California theme parks, the Walt Disney Family Museum, and even more Disney history. Listen to us live on Mixler, Sundays at 7 p.m. Pacific Time, Disneyland Time. You can download our two weekly shows from iTunes each Monday. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at the Diz Unplugged at DizUnplugged.com. You can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at M Bowling one two one Facebook Masketeer Michael Instagram Michael Bowling the Diz. Thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing: that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. <laughs> <laughs>